Welcome to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast, where we continue the conversation that started on Sunday to help you become more like Christ throughout the week. I'm your host, Clay Wright. Let's get started. Well, hello, and welcome back to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. My name is Clay Wright, and it's great to be back here with you and also to be joined by Pastor Jim Minley. Hi there. Welcome, Jim. I was standing in the hallway, and you just called me in. Let's yeah, let's have let's make a podcast. That's a that's a great idea, actually. Yeah. <laughs> for those of you who may be joining us for the first time on the cutting room floor, uh, what we love to do in these conversations is to continue the conversation that we started this past week on Sunday morning. You know, we we love to open up the scriptures on Sunday. <laughs> we love to open up the scriptures to learn and to be shaped by them. And so that's what we we do when it comes to any sort of conversation, but especially when it comes to difficult conversations yeah. or conversations that can be controversial. And so for those of you who maybe attend Church of the Open Door or, or who have had the opportunity to listen to the sermon from Sunday, you'll know that we were talking about what can be a very touchy, very difficult topic. Uh, and so in the context of our study of the words of Jesus in Luke chapter six, we're talking about what it looks like to love people well. Yes. And we're, we're talking about in the Sermon on the Plain, this ethic of love that expands our circle of love beyond those who are easy and convenient and those who are similar to us and to those who are uh, other from other than us, to those who are our enemies even. Or who at least seem to be other than us. Yeah, who, those who seem to be other than us. Sure. Um, because we might say Jesus wants to break down some of those othering Good. sorts of ways of viewing people. Us and, and them. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and in the, in the course of, <laughs> of learning about this, in the course of learning how to love our enemies, in the course of learning how to love people who are different from us, we've, in the last couple of weeks, touched on some groups of people. Yeah. Uh, you know, last week we, we t talked about what it looks like to love Muslims, mm -hmm. who are a, you know, a people group that sometimes can be difficult for Christians to learn how to love. And then this most recent sermon, we talked about what it looks like to love people who are who identify with the LGBTQ community. Mm. And so that's the conversation that we'll be continuing in this podcast. And I'm, I've been looking forward to it. I'll, <laughs> I'll be honest. Uh, that may sound strange, but um, even though it's a difficult topic, this is one of those topics that I think the church has got to get yeah. better at having conversations oh, about. Yes. Um, I think sexuality in general can be difficult to talk about because the church has done a poor job talking about it for many, many, many years. Or, or if, if, they've even, when, if they've even talked about it at all. Right. <laughs> and so when it comes to sexuality in general, right. uh, you know, same-sex attraction or homosexuality or, or gay people or LGBTQ people, however, you know, we'll use those somewhat interchangeably most likely throughout the conversation. Um, when, when it comes to these conversations, Scripture has uh, wisdom for us mm -hmm. and, and the person of Jesus uh, his example and what's revealed to us in the text is everything that we need for life and godliness. Mm -hmm. And so this is why we continue to come back to the text and why we continue to have conversations about the text. So right. um, as we get into this conversation about homosexuality, about, you know, our sermon from Sunday about what it looks like to love these people well, I also want to recognize that if you live in northeastern Ohio uh, in 2024, you may have heard about a broader conversation that's going on about, you know, same-sex attraction and these sorts of things that's in response to uh, another well-known preacher named Alistair Bay. Okay. And so yeah. I, I thought we might just sort of kick off the conversation 
in conversation with that conversation. Yeah, I mean, and it's only like 30 or 40 miles from here. Yeah. Or maybe 50, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, Cleveland metropolitan area. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, you know, this this is a hot button topic right now because there has been an interview and then a sermon from Alistair, Alistair Begg that has gone viral a little bit. And so I know you were considering, hey, you know, is this something that's worth mentioning? Uh, and so I thought we might just chat yeah. about it here a little okay. bit. Can you bring us into the situation a little bit? Tell us more about some of the details. Well, I, I don't know a lot of the details. Um, what I know is that um, Alistair was um, uh, giving some counsel, some pastoral counsel to uh, a grandmother that he was in relationship with and yeah. who had asked a question. Uh, uh, he was in a, a series and are referring to a book he wrote called Christian Manifesto. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I guess I can't remember if I or if I even know whether he was preaching that series or whether he was preaching from Romans chapter one. Mm. But the, the topic of homosexuality came up and this grandmother asked this straightforward question that a lot of people ask uh, these days. And I think it was her grandson that oh, okay. uh, she had been invited to her grandson's and again, I can't remember whether it's a trans wedding or it's, it was a gay wedding. Okay. Do you know? Um, I I don't know. Yeah. And and off off the cuff, he gave her pastoral advice um, based upon some questions he asked her, just kind of you know like any pastor would. Right. Well, tell me about the relationship. You know, does does your grandson know where you stand on on the issue of homosexuality? Yes. Does. You know, does he know what you know how you interpret the scriptures on this? Yes. Does does he know your stance about the gospel? Yes. You know these kind of questions just for him to kind of get to know her a little bit. And it sounded it sounded to me like he was finding out that the grandson was expecting her to not come because because of her uh, you know historical Christian Orthodox positions on homosexuality and mm -hmm. what what a, a real marriage is and those kinds of things. He expected her to take what he might have said a, a hard line, sure. And so Alistair and I, I loved this part because it was the same phrase I had used in a sermon outline, <laughs> you know, well, a month or so before. That is the idea of of in, in the soundtrack series. I used the phrase of surprising, or maybe it was a different series anyway. But the idea of surprising somebody with love, yeah. Maybe it wasn't soundtracks. What was the the the, the series right before this one? Uh, right now we're, um. This is a good question. Yeah, it's definitely. We well, we, was it Advent before this? Um, and and the love, talking about the love that launched Christmas. Okay, maybe it was. And what was one before that? The one before that. Um, can't remember. Anyway, Luke six still. Um, the idea was that Jesus gave answers to people that surprised them. This is the mm. surprise. You know, if someone strikes you on one cheek, turn the other. Yeah. And and a surprising. Uh, response of love would be to turn the other cheek. And so back to the story of Alistair, he said, you know, surprise her, uh, surprise him by showing up and bringing a gift. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that might create conversation yeah. that might um, cause him to say, well, why would you do that? And open up an opportunity for them to discuss. And uh, that, that small little pastoral advice that he said later, you know, if it was a different circumstance, I might have given another piece of advice. I, I might have advised him to do something different or her to do something different. Um, so it's not like it's a stock answer. Right. You know, he was weighing the situation and suggested based upon the dynamics of that relationship 
And, and I heard him say later that he was really concerned about the, that relationship between the grandmother and the grandson. You know, would they, if, if she didn't come, would that cut the relationship off? Um, and, and so he gave this pastoral advice. This is like back in September. And somehow that got out and started, people started responding to it, reacting to it. And, yeah. and now in January, four months later, it becomes a firestorm. Yeah. And now it goes viral and people's famous people start responding. Famous preachers start responding in criticism against Pastor Begg. Uh, in some cases, um, really re- condemning him. Yeah. Um, his his broadcast, Truth for Life, got canceled by American Family Association Radio, hmm. uh, like eighteen hundred stations. Um, um, you know, some people. I heard one person say that's not being canceled, but it it was for those eighteen hundred stations who mm-hmm. love listening to Alistair Begg. Right. And so that that just became a, a big flap, and so. Not because we live in the Cleveland metropolitan area, but because, you know, we're on the Internet. We yeah. heard about this. It just right. happens that he's in our geographical metropolitan area. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and also people need to know, if they don't know the name, is that this guy is like a poster boy. He's 70 years old. He's a poster boy for, you know, solid biblical yes. scholarship, uh, solid biblical exposition excellence in preaching, you know, yeah. faithful to the text, and gets yeah. invited to all these conferences as to, to, to show people and to teach people how to be a faithful expositor who honors That's the text right. and, and yet is an effective communicator. Yeah. And, in, and in fact, I, he ha, he's got, I've, I've heard a couple of sermons of Alistair's, uh, and, and he has this one illustration in particular that's, that's I, I understand to be somewhat famous, which has to do with uh, the thief on the cross. Mm. And so if you've never listened to, you know, Pastor Begg preach, uh, you can type in Alistair Begg, you know, the man on the middle cross said I could come and you'll probably find it. I've never heard, I'm not, see, I've not heard that. Oh, so I'll have to show it to you after yeah. this, but. Uh-huh. Um, I like listening to him because he's got a Scottish accent. He does. <laughs> and, and at any rate, I, I think it is, maybe it doesn't go without saying these days, but it should go without saying that we, you know, would consider Pastor Beg, a dear brother. You know, I, oh, I've not met him personally, but in, in light of all that's going around, I think maybe the first thing to say as we bring this up is, you know, we we respect his teaching, we respect his platform. We're not quick to, and the, and what we're our point is not to like speak into and sort of hoist ourselves over what's going on in that ministry, no. but, but more just to recognize that that conversation is happening. Maybe to talk about um, how that you know, how, how we can use that to ask questions about our own heart, our own life, how we right. can love well, because really, if you, if you think about <laughs> that pastoral advice that Pastor Bay gave to that woman, it sounds like he was asking the question, hmm, what would it look like for you to love this person well? <laughs> Which should sound familiar if, if you've been, you know, right. listening to these, these sermons that, yeah. and, and the way that we've been studying in, in the context of Church of the Open Door. And the, the the reason I want to highlight that is because the controversy surrounding, you know, Alistair Begg has n- really nothing to do with a traditional Christian ethic when it comes to sexuality. It, it, that almost is a moot point because yeah. it does, you know, Alistair is, would totally agree with you and I and totally agree with an orthodox position on human sexuality. You know, for, for example, you, you put up that list of verses and we believe that the Bible is very clear mm-hmm. about 
the you know that this is a broken way of relating to one another. This yeah. is a this is a way of sin that right. does not lead to human flourishing. Alistair would agree with all of that across the board. Yes, it's a question of right. how to love well right. and what what it looks like to, you know, it, it's almost a, a question of how do we love well in light of the fact that we're going to be seen by others and there's all this other stuff going on, all these other factors. So I'm glad you brought that up because that's, that's a, you know, an approach that I've taken to this whole text, starting with yeah. Luke 6, 27, love your enemies. Mm-hmm. Uh, this whole section, I, I have tried to, get people to look at it instead of looking at it from a theological standpoint, instead of looking at it from a positional standpoint, instead of looking at it from a social issue standpoint. um, I've asked, I've tried to get people to, to let's approach it from this one question. What does it look like to love a particular person? Well, right. And what can we learn from Jesus as he teaches us and as he models for us examples of how to love people well. And that's, to me, that's the bottom line question. And and, um, I'm not interested in merely having positional conversations and, you know, where do you stand on this social issue or that? I'm willing to have them, but I want to keep coming back to what does it look like to love a person well and, and in particular specific people because that's what Jesus calls us to do. And um, that's how I've tried to approach this whole series, this whole text, really. Yeah, including that that week. Yeah, week. and and this is a, you know, this is a a question that I have not personally dealt with in my you know Clay Wright's personal life. I have friends who have uh, family members who are either you know trans or who are you know experiencing same sex attraction and having to deal with, you know, how do we how do we go about you know, who, who have been faced with the question and had to make a decision right. about right. what do we do? And I know, you know, I understand you've shared uh, before about some some situations in your own family where mm-hmm. you've had to face these questions. Yeah, a larger family, yeah. And and I want to just recognize, as a believer, rather than being quick to, and not to steal a line from next week's passage, but not to be quick to judge our brothers and sisters, but to to empathize with them and to say, hey, you know, for me, at least, I'm not on the front lines of this issue. Alistair Begg, as he's he's working with these people, he's been put on the front lines yeah, he is now, <laughs> and uh, and and we we can respect the difficulty that that poses. And so, you know, just to and really this this we'll hope to talk about this later on, but to show grace to one another right. as we are together trying to answer this question: What does it look like to love well? Because it's not always clear right. and it is uh, contextual. Yes. Um, so there's not a one size fits all answer. And that's why, you know, we, we just want to encourage grace, encourage conversation, Amen. encourage lots of questions, encourage coming back to the scriptures. Right. Uh, this is these, this is what we do as a church or this is what we ought to do as a church. Um, and so I, maybe a, a next question, if you're, if you're ready to move on from that, sure. a, a next question that I want to pose, you know, a little earlier in the conversation, I mentioned how that, um, you know, the church needs to do a better job at, at discussing these issues. Mm. I think a part of the evidence of that fact is uh, something that you shared on Sunday, which is that of many, many, many folks who are in the LGBTQ community have a history in evangelicalism. They have a history in the church. Yeah. Um, can you talk to us a little bit more about, you know, how did you find that out or where did that come from? And what does that mean about mm. 
the conversations that we haven't had or have had poorly? Yeah, the stat uh, that shocked me was written in a book by a guy named Preston Sprinkle. Uh, maybe some of our listeners know that name. Uh, he wrote a book called Embodied, and I can't remember the stat right now, but it was high, and I think it was like in the 70, 70-something percent of the um, people that he had interacted with or had counseled or had been in relationship with, both in research for his book, books, plural, and in his work as a New Testament scholar and and pastor, that his his uh, stat was that over 70% of people in the LGBT community came from a church. Yeah. They were raised in a church. They were um, a part of a church or are heavily involved in a church. So not just had been to church, but came out of the church. And uh, that's I, I had some anecdotal evidence of that in some of the relationships I've had, uh, the people I've talked to. But I, I, I haven't been in, you know, a relationship with 100 LGBTQ people sure. um, or 500 or, you know, and, and not interviewed for a book like Preston did. And so that, that surprised me that it was that high, but it didn't surprise me because um, none of the churches I grew up in talked about this. Um, it's, it's just, it was just kind of a taboo subject. In fact, you know, sex as, as in general, every time I've talked about sex, every time I've talked about um, sexual uh, issues in marriage, every time I've mentioned homosexuality, every time I've gone anywhere near that whole world, uh, I get questions from people or I get statements from people like, I'm, I've been in church my whole life and I've never heard a pastor talk about this. Mm. You know, one of the emails I got that was a positive email uh, that I got this past week was from a person who literally said that I grew up in the church and you're the first pastor who has ever addressed this guy is he's in his fifties. Hmm. You're the first pastor who's ever you know, addressed this issue. He grew up in the church his whole life. He's 50 or 50 something years old. Hmm. And, um, and it's not that you need to talk about it every week or even every year, but sure. you know, it, it needs to be talked about number one, because it's in texts and number two, it's a culture cultural issue. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why even though our text in Luke 6 is not about homosexuality or anybody in the LGBT community, I wanted to talk about that community, that group of people mm. um because it is a um group of people if I can glump people together, I mean, you know, I I don't like doing that, but sure. That's why we have the label LGBTQ um so for people who can either self-identify or understand that that world, um, you know, they they talk about this in terms of, you know, this is the way my experience in the church, this is the way I was treated in the church, and this is the way I understand the church to be. And I want us to be able to have conversations like that where we're talking to people or helping people be prepared to talk to people from the LGBT community from a Jesus love uh, position. Yeah. And so this has been more of an applicational sermon versus a textual. So, yeah. you know, you might look at the text and go, Hey, there's nothing about homosexuality there. Why are we talking about it? And I want to be real clear because this is a topic that's going on in our culture. 
and we need pastoral biblical counsel. And the words that Jesus said in Luke 6 would have been very inflammatory. Mm-hmm. Um, and the story that we went to from from um, uh, Matthew, Mark, I'm sorry, Mark 2 uh, was clearly, and we, if we talk about that later on, it was clearly inflammatory. I mean, the Pharisees were very upset, and we, we should talk about sure. why were they so upset. There's yeah. a reason for that. And, and I see that same upsetness happening today. Yeah, and so um, I wanted to speak into that to give us some tools, to give us some perspective, to hear Jesus address the same, similar kinds of of questions that people were asking in his day. And maybe that's that's a good thing to do right now. I, I know for me, uh, one of the questions that I had as I listened to the sermon was, you know, as you were unpacking. Uh, that Mark 2 passage and, and talking about the significance of Jesus eating with sinners mm-hmm. and all that right. that meant. Because, right. you know, and, and you didn't come right out and say it, but some of the subtext of what you were talking about is, hey, when you're invited to a wedding, you're invited to a meal, you're invited to, you know, s- some of these sorts of things. So it's, it's, it's a relevant mm. uh, situation mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, maybe not to throw us back into discussing the, the conversation with Alistair Begg, but, you know, that's that's what has been a really hot button topic right now is if you get invited to this wedding, what should, you, should you go or not go? Yeah. And a lot of the the reasonings that were that are given on either side is on the one hand, it's like, well, we want to be loving. We want to maintain a relationship. We want to we want to uh, model love really well. And and if, if you know, if we say we you can't you know, be around sinners, then, then that's, you know, that's ridiculous. That falls short of the law of love that we learn in Christ. But then on the other hand, you have people saying, no, but you can't, you know, make a statement. Do you agree with these people? And you can be really concerned about how that would look and really concerned about, you know, some other passages in the new Testament that talk about, you know, don't associate with these sorts of people or whatever it would be. Um, And so there's in back and forth, it goes, should you go, should you not go? And in the midst of that, uh, you sort of beg the question, if only we had an example Mm -hmm. of how Jesus responded to an invitation like this, (laughs) not that he was invited to a wedding, but you you pulled out some significance Mm -hmm. in in what Jesus chose to do. Can you tell us more about that? Kind of bring us back into that Mark 2 passage and talk to us about the significance. Yeah. um, You know, when you're reading the text, and this story is also, by the way, in Matthew and in Luke. Uh, okay. So, um, is it in Matthew? It's in Luke five for sure. I think it's in Matthew too. But anyway, um, you're when you're reading the scriptures, you want to ask yourself questions. You know, why is this happening? Why did this person say this? So, why is this, are they so upset? So, as I'm studying Mark chapter two, and I see the Pharisees you know, react so strongly to Jesus, you know. And his disciples, why are you eating? Or he actually asked the disciple. They asked like, the, the Pharisees asked the disciples of Jesus, why is are you and him eating with these sinners and tax collectors? And there's a there's an edge. There's a complaint. There's a they're they're upset. And so good biblical interpretation starts with asking the questions: Why are they upset? Mm-hmm. What are they just nosy? Are they just um, people who are sticking their nose in Jesus's business, or is there something that's bothering them? And so when you research that and you you discover, yeah, they, they've got a very valid question based upon the culture of that day 
and which wasn't just first century. You can see this back in the Old Testament. Um, uh, and actually, and by the way, you can still see this even in, in some cultures today. The that hospitality code that we refer yeah. to is, you know, that you were obligated to feed people, you were obligated to house people, um, and beyond beyond that, there was this beyond the obligation. There was this. Uh, idea that when you eat together with people, that you're like joining a in covenant with them. And so, for instance, you know, you have all these passages, uh, um, Jacob and Laban um, uh, have a conflict, and then they come together and resolve the conflict and make commitments to each other and eat a meal. Interesting. And so that huh. meal kind of seals the covenant. Um, and you know the the covenant. Uh, I'm thinking of Genesis 50, uh, 26, Genesis thirty one, are some passages that people can go look at and see some of these covenant meals. Mm. Um, I always like to point out that in the Hebrew, the the idea there of eating together is is literally the word they salted together. Because huh. I like salt on my food, so I, I tell <laughs> this to my wife all the time. You know, to be biblical, I need some salt. For make this a covenant meal. Unless it's ice cream, then you use pepper. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Very good. <Glad. laughs> um, so um, <clears throat> it's no surprise along those lines, and this is something I wish I would have had time to bring out, that Jesus wants to seal you know, his, the, covenant, the new covenant that he's making with mm. a meal. And so this whole yeah. whole idea of what we call the Lord's Supper, you know, some people know, maybe many people know that that is Jesus giving new meaning to the Exodus meal, the, the Passover, but it's also, you know, a covenant meal. So when he uses language like, you know, as often as you eat or drink, you know, remember me, you know, this is, this is, this blood is the, this cup is the cup of the new covenant. We're eating a covenant meal. Hmm. Why are we eating? Because that's what you do. That's what you do when you eat. You make covenants. You either make them formally, like this is a treaty or this is a covenant, or you're making a statement of an informal covenant because I'm eating with this person. So you see this back in the Old Testament. You see it in the New Testament. And so the Pharisees aren't making this up. They are all, and they know Jesus also comes out of this culture that eating together is a symbol of some sort of covenant, whether it's formal or informal. So their question is completely appropriate. And uh, <laughs> and I, Jesus' answer is, as usual, brilliant, you know. <laughs> and he, you know, it's just like the time he's asked, you know, should you give this this money to Caesar or not, you know. He doesn't really answer the question yes or no. He, you know, brings a whole different perspective. He does the same thing with this yeah. You know, I did not come for the the righteous. I came for the sinners. I came for the sick, and so he doesn't say this is why I'm eating with the, these people. He just very strongly implies I came to eat with them because I want them to know that I'm identifying with them, yeah. and I'm not excluding them. And they, I want them to be a part of my family, and I'm accepting them just as they are. And I'm shocking them. I'm blowing them away. I'm surprising them with love and back to, back to Alistair Begg. And so it's for sure surprising the Pharisees, but it's also surprising the quote unquote sinners and the tax collectors. 
And, and this is what I think is the genius of Jesus, is he refuses to be bound by these, um, I wanted to say binary, because that but has a whole different, you know, whole, whole, <laughs> but, you know, being stuck in a conversation that only has two perspectives. Um, mm. And he, he, I think he, I tried to do that with those three examples. He wants to say, guys, think of this completely different. Instead of, you know, what what rules are being followed and what rules are being broken, you know, let's love and let's risk to love and let's go out of our way to love because we want to reach people. And mm. as long as we stand there and go, well, you're lost, you're a sinner, mm. you're a tax collector, you're one of them, you're LGBTQ, you know, you're whatever you want to name them as. You know, I'm. If you can't see what I'm doing, I'm pushing my arm out. Um, that's the statement that's being made when I say I can't eat with you. Right. I won't eat with you because I don't want to be seen in league with you. And Jesus is saying, uh, I, "It's not that I don't care about the rules. It's just that I'm living by a higher rule. And that rule is the rule of love. Mm. And my whole life is about risking." It's about going the extra mile. It's about reaching out. It's about leaving the 99 to reach the one, you know. That's my whole mission, my whole life. Right. And so this is just one more example. I'm not saying rules aren't important. I'm just saying there's a higher rule. And and I think that you can really see that in some of the ways that Jesus interacts with other kinds of purity-oriented mm -hmm. yep. type rules. You know, so for, for there's example— plenty of examples. Or, or like the Sabbath regulations, for example. Yep. To the Good Pharisees, example. Example. Jesus is being totally flippant with something that for them is, if I can say it, gospel truth. Mm -hmm. you know, for them, it's like, how could you dare, you know, desecrate the Sabbath? <laughs> the Sabbath is tied to God's holiness. You know, your the creation you're being, ordinance. It's, it goes back to Genesis 1, you know. Exactly, yes. <laughs> and, and yet, and so in their view, Jesus is being totally flippant, right. totally disrespectful. Of the law, of the of, rules. Of the law, rejecting right. holiness, all right. these sorts of things. When in reality, Jesus is just saying, you you have missed the point. Exactly. And so to, exactly. to the extent that our commitment to truth drives us contrary to love, then I think we need to reexamine you know, our, our commitment to that truth yeah. <laughs> and, and that's, or the way that we're committed to it. And, and that's the message I want to, if I could send something to in the middle of this Alistair Begg, you know, conversation is... Uh, and I, I don't know Alistair's argument well enough to know. Maybe he's doing the same thing, but but it's, it's to look at this from a different perspective. I'm, I'm not ignoring the rules. I'm not dissing the rules. I'm not saying they're not important. I'm not saying truth's not important. I'm just saying that love is the greatest of all, yeah. and love is the royal commandment, and love is what breaks down hard hearts. You know, quoted from Romans 2, it's God's kindness that leads to repentance. Um, it's God's love that woos us, that, mm. that, um, surprises us. God loves me. I'm a broken sinner. You know, I'm, I'm labeled. I'm one of them. Right. God loves me. Jesus wants to eat with me. Now that is the kind of love that can turn into conviction, which can turn into a person surrendering their life to Jesus. Yeah. That's the power of love. Yeah. And that will never happen if we just, hammer the rules and just go, well, here's the policy and here's what we have. Here's the, you know, here's the law. Here's what the Bible says, you know, and you know, I can be misunderstood by just saying, I, I do want to know what the Bible says, right. 
but I want to know what the whole Bible says. Right. And I think that there's, you know, there's just so much to talk about here because, because on the one hand, I, I want to recognize as we're having the conversation, um, you know, Mark two is not like an open and shut case. It's, it's not like, Oh, it, well, in the sense that it doesn't answer for all time. Oh, right. Therefore, you know, right. here's how you should always respond to that wedding invitation. Here's right. how you should always, because Jesus is not responding to a wedding invitation, Mark two. All that we're trying to recognize is that for Jesus, there are times that in a way that scandalized mm. the Pharisees, Good he seemed to choose love over truth. And yet we can also recognize Jesus is the truth, as you said in your sermon. So yeah. we're, we're dealing with a lot of very um, difficult nuances, which is the relationship between love and truth, how you should respond to people who are living an openly sinful lifestyle, mm -hmm. you know, uh, to what extent we should prioritize or care about the, the impression that that gives to others. Right. And, and so there's all of these things to consider. And there's lots of texts in the New Testament uh, where, where, you know, the Apostle Paul addresses, you know, there, for example, there's a text that talks about uh, you know, avoiding the appearance of evil. I, I don't remember where that's at specifically. The but, Corinthian correspondence. You know, yeah. and so there's, all I'm trying to say is, this is a tough, yeah. this is tough. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and yet it's our call as believers to wade into these conversations in some sense with open hands. And in some sense, asking good questions and not yeah. writing things off and not exactly go moving to snap judgments. And so we're not, we're not trying to build a, a slam dunk case that, you know, you should go to all LGBTQ weddings. Let's go find them and go to them. You know, that's, that's not the, the case right. we're trying to build, but rather we're trying to recognize Jesus uh, it was so interested in choosing love. And that's yeah. what we want to be interested in as well. Um, even if that's going to invite questions, which I, which I think it does. I think it invites questions. Great. Um, and that's where I want to start is with questions. Yes. You know, that's why I prefer starting with that question of what does it look like to love this person well? Yeah. Um, as the question that we ask in any of these relationships, instead of what's the policy here? Yeah. Or what's the rule here? Or, you know, what's the principle? Even what, even what's the principle before we get to the, what's the principle question? I want to ask, I want us to, to learn to ask, you know, God, what does it look like to love this person well? Right. And, and knowing that Jesus sometimes acted and spoke in a way that looked like he was breaking rules or that he didn't care about the rules. But in reality, it just um, illustrated the way Jesus said, you know, no, this person and their salvation is the ultimate goal. It's the mission. It's why I came. And so I will, to quote Paul, do whatever it takes, you know, by whatever it takes to reach people. And not saying that Jesus is looking for rules to break to reach people, but it's not rules that save people. You know, it's it's right. Jesus and it's his love that saves people. Yeah. And so that, that if people can grab that that simple orientation, instead of leading with laws and rules and principles, leading with this question, what does it look like to love well? And of course, I think one of the first questions that is good for us to address, which you talked a lot about in your sermon, but I think we could we could still talk some more about, has to do with the relationship between truth and love. Okay. Because, because yep. of, you yep. know, there, there's just so many sort of Christian truisms that come to mind here. 
for example, you you know people maybe have heard someone give the illustration. I know I think I've probably given this illustration before. I I'm fairly certain I've heard it from you as well. Of you know if you're dealing with someone who's living in sin, who's living in a a death style, a way of living that's going to lead to destruction and mm-hmm. the lack of flourishing and all these horrible things. It's sort of like um, you know that person is sick and they need mm. they need medicine, they need help. It's the word and, Jesus used, right? And, and <laughs> How could it be loving to deceive that person? You know, if you're a doctor and you look at the scans and the person's got cancer all over their body, how you know how you know no loving doctor would tell that person you're well, go you know just go and live your life. Mm-hmm. We would say that's unloving, withholding right. that truth. And so right. the the implication that you know we we often will draw from that sort of illustration that's so popular is that. Uh, you know, the truth and love go hand in hand. It's, right. you know, just trying to preserve the relationship at the expense of what's truly good for the person is not loving. Right. Um, and so it begs the question, as we're asking, what does it look like to love this person? Well, you know, doesn't that have to be informed by the truth? And oh. what's the relationship between truth and love? Let's that, talk more about that's that. That's a good question. That's, that's so important. Um love that surprises people with an a response that was not expected only is surprising if there's an anticipation of you know another reaction for instance um if the person that I'm in relationship with who's let's say they're an LGBTQ person and they invite me to their wedding and they're expecting me to say no because you know they know that I believe that the Bible stands against homosexuality. It's a sin. And so they're expecting me to take the hard line. And um, I, and I say, no, I, I want to come to support you. It's an act of love for you. Uh, they're surprised by that. If, on the other hand, they have no idea where I stand, then my response of, yes, I'll go to your wedding, doesn't communicate any, anything significant. Right. It certainly doesn't communicate um uh, the love of Jesus because they don't know me. They don't know the context. So um, if you're the kind of Christian witness who never shares your faith, you're the silent witness, people don't even know you're a Christian, you know, <laughs> then this kind of loving we're talking about does not have near the power. And if I'm not mistaken, that's, I just thought about this. That's the thing, question that Alistair Begg was asking. Mm. You know, does your grandson know where you stand? Yeah. And based upon that, I'd be willing to bet, guess, that if she would have said, well, no, he, he, you know, we've never talked. He doesn't really know where I stand. Then Alistair may have given different advice. Mm. Uh, I, I probably would as well. Uh, I would probably say, let's sit down and let me tell you why I'm uncomfortable going to your wedding. And I love you, but I also love God. And I love his word. I want to honor right. God. And and, you know, I know this may sound harsh to you, but you know, can I just bring you into my struggle? I love God. I love his word. I want to obey his word. And I, I, I will love you. And I'm torn. And I, I don't know what to do. So, you know, that's a great conversation to have. But in most of these cases, you know, they know full well where we stand. Mm-hmm. And and so, so if they don't, then that is a different scenario, a different setting. And there are, I can easily see myself giving the advice to someone, 
No, if you're not willing to stand up for Jesus, if they don't know where you stand, if there's, they have no idea, then, then that changes the whole thing. And I, I may say, no, don't go to the wedding or go talk to them and say, here's why I'm planning on not going to your wedding. Because I love you and you would think I would come. Let me tell you why I'm struggling or either, either struggling or decided not to go. It is because uh, I love God more than I love you. Know, you. Or the struggle that is really affecting me has caused me to have all this turmoil. So bring them into the story. Yeah. So now they have context and they're like, oh, wow, I had no idea that you were struggling with that. You know, I can see that. Or, you know, whatever the conversation, however the conversation may lead. My main point here is that if they don't know where you stand, then your love has no teeth. It has no impact. It's gummy. It's It's, Ooh, ooh, that's a, (laughs) a terrible and wonderful image. But you no, know, I think that that's so good because a lot of the folks that I've chatted with about this, they're, they're, one of their concerns has to do with, um, you know, well, I don't want to be seen as enabling someone right. in a lifestyle that's going to totally valid, you know, Can question not, not go well for them. Sure, and and I, you, know, I want to be, I, I want to be very sensitive to that, and I, I think, you know, we can, and yet, here's the other thing is you know, extrapolate that to other sinful lifestyles and behaviors, it's no less right. difficult. You know, it's like when you're dealing with a person who is, well, I mean, it's it can still be very difficult to know, you know, when you're dealing with someone who's a materialistic person, yeah. do you, you know, so now do you not hang out with them because you don't want them to like come into your house and see yeah. like the new candles that you bought and f- for them to struggle? Like, where does the line of enabling begin and end? That's, that's a little bit of a subjective thing. Yeah. And so when it comes to, you, you don't want to be, it's not so much you don't want to be seen as supporting their lifestyle as much as, you know, you don't want to enable them or encourage them um, to, to continue on that path. You, I, that's, a, that's something to be sensitive about. Definitely. And, and that's why I, I approached the, the introduction of the sermon the way I did to kind of take people off guard. And that is to, to bring them into the struggle of, of I'm trying to balance out what it means to love God and love people. I'm trying to balance out what does it mean to honor God in his word. I know God's word and I know what it says. And this is difficult for me because yeah. I want to love God and love people. And I, I thought by c- coming at the sermon that way, I might take some people off guard. I might introduce a struggle that maybe they, ha- they hadn't thought through before and, and, and help them to see that loving someone well is is difficult it's yeah. it's 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 it, it's i almost called the sermon scandalous love or the, or the scandal of love yeah and um maybe i should have but you used that word before that's why i brought that up and it may be that as i pray and that as i think about my relationship with this person that the way i decide to respond is going to sound scandalous well that's a good that's a word that was used of jesus in fact he was called the scandalon. That, that that's a word that means the stone that trips people up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Literally, that yeah. word applies to Jesus. <laughs> he was the scandalon. Yeah. You know? And so, um, are you willing to lo- risk loving people and risk your reputation and risk being misunderstood because the thing that's most important to you is is loving people? Yeah. Uh, I, I hope people will take that risk. And maybe they make the wrong decision. Okay. Uh, there is no foolproof thing here. 
if I am going to make a wrong decision, I would rather err on the side of love than err on the side of judgment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I certainly wouldn't claim that <laughs> half of the decisions I make are perfect decisions. I'm, I make, you know, the wrong decision all the time. Yeah. Um, but if I'm going to, if I, if I am, I know I'm going to err or I'm a risking error, I'd rather err on the side of love. Yeah. And I'm, I think that's, that's a very respectable, like, I mean, I think, I think in that, because I, you know, I guess I, what I was about to say is I err on the side of love all the time. <laughs> but I don't know that that's true. I mean, it, it probably is because especially as pastors, we have a heart for people. Mm-hmm. And so there are, there are times or where, should. yeah, should. And so we're constantly, you know, I mean, we, not to toot your horn or to toot my own horn, but like we know the Bible fairly well. Uh, we, we fit in that category of people who have a hard time loving people because we know the scriptures very well. Mm-hmm. It, we, it, it causes tension in us, uh, especially, you know, uh, for for me, I'm an Enneagram one, and so I yeah, I true. tend to I've got this inner critic that I've really have identified in myself where I'm yeah I it feels like I naturally constantly am surfacing inconsistencies in myself mm-hmm. and the people around me. Mm-hmm. Well, what do I do about that? Do right. I always go around pointing that out? Right. Well, no, I don't. Does that mean maybe I'm you with... should be preaching this next week about no yeah. judgment because the word judgment is the is the Greek word krina. Which is Which, yeah. where we get our word critic. So you should be preaching this Sunday. I no, I'm glad that it's going to be you. I need to receive that teaching because <laughs> I do. Uh, I do. This is something I struggle with. It's it's what motivates for, for anybody who knows a little bit about my story. It's what motivates my shame narratives. Mm-hmm. Is because I've got this critical eye toward myself. Yep. Well, it's it's this. I struggle with it toward other people as well. I actually tend to be more gracious toward other people than toward myself. Typically, just yeah. by disposition. Yeah. But it doesn't change the fact that, you know, there are times where we, we recognize and we're, I, at least for myself, I'm constantly having this conversation with the spirit saying, Lord, do you, do you want me to press into and address that right now? That's beautiful. Or Great is question. this a time to encourage them, affirm yep. them, say, hey, Let's keep talking about this. I, I want to keep. Let's let's meet up next week. Let, why don't we talk some more about oh, this? That's really good because it's it's you know if, if if it was my job to constantly go around pointing out, hey, I don't know if you were aware of this, <laughs> but you actually just sinned. <laughs> you know, I I could do that all day endlessly yeah, because sure. we all struggle with sin. But you, know, I, I think there's some extent where I entrust that to the Holy Spirit. I I try to <laughs> allow Him to lead me. Yeah, that's the. I've talked about this before, but for me, that's the eternal pressure release valve. Yeah. I say, all right, Holy Spirit, you got to guide me. Yeah. Am I, do you want me to press into that? Do you want me to point that out? Or uh, is that something I, want, I can place into your hands? Yeah. And, and similarly, you know, in, in some senses, that's how it looks for Clay Wright to err on the side of love, to mm-hmm. err on the side of grace, yeah. to err on the side of, you know, God will use me in this person's life, but I'm not the only person that God is going to use in this person's life. And, and and honestly, it's not always easy. In fact, it rarely is easy to know which side I should emphasize more, grace or truth. I talked about in the sermon that those people who say, who tend to be more people-oriented may be more grace-oriented. And those people who are more objective-oriented, truth-oriented, you know, um, policy-oriented uh, may, you know, err on the side of truth or focus on truth. But 
it's it's different for each each situation is is unique. Yeah, that doesn't mean it's situational ethics. It just means that uh, I'm recognizing that each person is made in the image of God and is a unique person, and each person has a unique story, and yeah. so their life, their their crossroads, their decisions uh, are are unlike anybody else's because they no one else has the exact same history, and and it, when I'm in a relationship with that person. And I'm seeking to love them while there are some, some, you know, it's obviously not loving to kill them. You know, we uh, there's lots of <laughs> obvious things. But yeah. but when I'm not sure, it, should I give them grace here? Should I give them truth? What does grace and truth look like? What does it look like to love them well? I, I may uh, <laughs> do one thing one day and another thing another day, not because I'm inconsistent, but because I'm really trying to be other-centered, put their best interests in mind. And I may make a mistake. I may yeah. love them poorly, but I'm trying to love them well. Mm. And th- that's what I'm trying to get people to go towards. And yeah. instead of having a little book I pull out that goes, in, in this situation, do this, you know, I, I want to invite people like, like you did to ask the Holy Spirit, you know, Lord, Holy Spirit, you've been teaching me the word. And so I, I know I'm supposed to love this person. I'm commanded to love them. Uh, I also know these things about them. I know these things about your word. Given all of that, you know, what does it look like for me to love them with agape love, other-centered yes, love, yes. love that puts their best interest in mind? Because that's what I want to do right. right now. Help me. And, of course, the truth dictates what their best interest is. Absolutely. And so that's why you have to lean into the text, listen to the Spirit. The reason I was chuckling is because this conversation is reminding me of conversations I've had recently with, with joy, my wife about parenting, mm. because I'm like, <laughs> when do we let him get away with right. it? When that's... do you bring the hammer down? Right. When do you, and of course we're not parenting everybody that's around us, but in, but in some sense I'm responsible for Arden. Absolutely. And, and we want to take responsibility for one it's another. Very, very similar. And it's like <laughs> grace or truth, which, right. which is she going to get today? And, and I want to be, you know, I want to offer her that consistency, but that's I, at least, you know, maybe folks who, are listening who have parented <laughs> difficult children or, or who have parented children, period, because all humans are... Wait for this day. The day is going to come yeah. because you will have taught Arden and Nathaniel so well. Well, they will parrot back to you. Dad, mom, what about grace? Yep. You know, when you're saying you're going to have to stay home from your party... You're going to have to go to your room. You're going to, have to be grounded. <laughs> what about grace? Because yeah. they've heard you talk about it, yep. which is awesome. And <laughs> when our children start parroting back or, you know, they've been listening and they start asking, these are wonderful opportunities to talk about the gospel. Yes. Uh, yes. Even though it can be a little intimidating. Right. But, and all that to say, you know, this is, this is, it's not a one size fits all. It's, it's a, right. it's a difficult and, and it's something that I am learning as a parent and, and, and how much more so, you know, in these complex, yeah. you know, relationships that we have. And, and I, you know, there's, we, we could go on and on with this conversation. Um, yes. I'm, I'm even trying to maybe not, not to belabor the point, but before we move on from this love truth conversation, you know, when we, when we, you, you brought us into John chapter one, where, where John describes Jesus, mm-hmm. who is you know, we might say the embodiment of love. Yes. Um, and yet who also says of himself, I am the truth mm-hmm. in, in a, in a series of things. Uh, 
and how he was full of grace and truth. And so one one question I wanted to ask was, you know, are our love and truth always consistent? You know, mm. do, are they or do they ever contradict one another? Because mm. we we can recognize the reason that it's so powerful for John to say that Jesus was full of grace and truth is because there are times when it seems like they contradict one another. Yes, that's the key. And and especially in our life the, yes. I think we can even say they do contradict because mm. we don't have perfect wisdom. For Jesus, you know, he never uh, did the wrong thing. He never loved poorly. He never gave somebody grace when he should have given them truth. He never gave somebody truth when he, ah, oh, he should have given them grace. Or he never gave them the wrong balance of that. You know, he always loved perfectly, right. gave the right answer. I don't. So... They are in conflict for me, and the and I, you know, that's why I need to ask the question: Does it look like I love this person well? Because I'm like, I don't know of which which side. What does the balance look like? Because it's not grace or truth; it's what combination of grace and truth am I supposed to love with? That's, that's an important right. distinction to make. I, well, this one person I'm going to give grace. This other person I'm going to give truth. No, every interaction needs to be full of grace and truth it's just what's the balance between is it more grace or more truth is it 50 50 you know what does that look like yeah it, and it may be splitting hairs but for me it's as a i can be a little bit of a systemic thinker it's helpful for me to to say uh, you know coordinating on the correct balance of grace and truth is what it looks like for me to love this person well mm -hmm. at any given moment and that that can change yeah. you know for instance, Paul says, speak the truth in love. Yeah. He doesn't put those in as, you know, opposites or as things he has to balance. He, these have to go together. Uh, I, I should never speak the truth without doing it in love. Mm. And loving someone will require me to speak the truth. So let, let's not let these become opposites. This list help us, you know, what does that look like now to speak yeah. the truth yeah. in love? And, yeah. and it's, it's going to look different for me because I'm imperfect, because I have I don't have perfect wisdom. Um, but in Jesus, I think one of the things that John is saying is that every time he spoke, everything he did, ah, perfect balance of grace and truth. Oh, man, Moses you know, brought law, but Jesus brings grace and truth. And, and so that's why we want to keep looking to him and yeah. listening to him, because, man, I want to love more like him. And... I'm going to have to keep asking the Holy Spirit for direction and yeah. keep asking the Holy Spirit for what does it look like to love this person well? Because my goal is to love like Jesus, which is always full of grace and truth. Yeah. 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 I'm not trying to be circular. I'm just trying to see how these all fit together. That's right. And, well, and I think that's helpful because it's so easy. You know, again, when we when we talk about these things, it's so easy to to. to pit them against one another right and we we have to we have to really resist that grace resist. or truth it's not grace or truth right. it's not love or truth right it's it's asking the question what does it look like to love well on the basis of what god has revealed mm -hmm. it's we, we we work on the foundation of truth but the way that we uh, you know interact with others is on the basis of love and now, it's the I, truth informs what love looks like and it's it's, uh, it's you, circular circular in a sense i'll, I'll give an example um for many, many years, there's a passage that I really, really wrestled with in the New Testament. Only one. Only one, yeah. That's... Um, and it's the story of Jesus going into the area of uh, Ty uh, uh, Tyre and Sidon 
and uh, he, a woman comes up to him yeah. and says, um, uh, "Would you uh, would you heal? I think it was, would you heal my daughter?" And Jesus says something that looks so unloving. He says, well, "It's not right to give the bread uh, to, the, to dog. the dogs." Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, we, this woman's a Gentile, and so we know that Jews called Gentiles dogs. It's like, wow, I, I can hardly think of anything more unloving for Jesus to say. It looks just terrible, and. And then she responds, well, yeah, but even the dogs get to eat some of the crumbs that fall off the table. And, you know, and Jesus has this interchange with her and, and, and you quote unquote gives in. Uh, and I was just like, man, she had to convince him to be loving. Mm. She had to convince him to, to heal. It just seems wrong. And, uh, uh, one day I was praying about this and I was using my journal just like you have in front of you. <laughs> and I can remember to this day, I'm just kind of, you know, writing this and thinking through this and the Holy Spirit just dropped into my mind. It's like just so clear to me. What's going on here is because uh, every time I come to a scripture that it doesn't make sense to me, my default mode is, okay, there must be something here I don't understand. Instead of my default mode being Jesus must be wrong, you know Jesus must be unloving, or you know yeah. there's something wrong with the text. I, I think it's important to say no. My default mode is there's something wrong with me. I I don't see something. I don't know something. So Holy Spirit, open my eyes to see what I'm missing here. Mm-hmm. And the, what He began to teach me was that. Since Jesus knows exactly what that woman is thinking, and he knows that what she needs to do is to exercise faith, he draws, he he asks the kind of question and he interacts with her in such a way that perfectly draws out of her the kind of faith that she needs to demonstrate in order for the healing to happen. Mm. And so... You know, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have asked that question or made that statement, but because Jesus perfectly knows how to love her with grace and truth, he says something that sounds to my ears as very unloving, not very graceful. He says something true, but it's like truth like a hammer. And I just am appalled at what Jesus says. But now that I recognize that Jesus always says just the perfect balance, and he knows her heart, and I don't, he knows what will draw out of her the faith response. So that's what explains why he says what he says, mm. and that's what draws out of her this, yes, Lord, but even the dogs get to eat the crumbs, you know, and, and then he makes a comment about her faith. It's like, that's what's happening here. Yeah. And that helped me so much in multiple levels, but it's an illustration of what looked like Jesus using truth like a hammer, but in reality, he is being graceful because he's drawing out the right response from her. Unfortunately, I don't know her heart and I don't know the heart of somebody else I'm talking to. I can ask the Holy Spirit for that insight. He may or may not reveal everything that's in her heart, but that's an example of what could, of where it looked like he did not balance them, but he did perfectly. So back to your question, you know, for me, it's always a tension. It's always a struggle. It, that's why I call the sermon the struggle to love well. At the end of the day, that's what I want to do is to love well. And yeah. in order to do that, I need to ask questions. I need to ask the Holy Spirit. I need to wrestle with what love looks like. And I need to think about things like texts and stories like Jesus, 
loving the Pharisees, loving the sinners, loving the tax collectors, loving this prostitute, you know, loving this woman from Phoenicia, loving this woman from Tyre. I, I put all those things in into my mind so that I can learn to love more and more like Jesus. And I don't know if that helps you, but it sure helped me. Well, of, it does because it's looking to his example mm-hmm. is, you know, Jesus is the book of Hebrews says, we we're just looking at this earlier today. The book of Hebrews says that Jesus is the, the, the exact representation yes. of God, of God. Yes. Um, and so when we, and God is love. And so when we think about, man, what does it look like to love? Well, you could almost substitute love for what does it look like to represent Christ? Well, mm, exactly. What does it look like well, to live good. like Jesus? Well, yeah. toward this person in this time, what does it look, you know, how would, if God were living his own life through clay, right to this person, what would that look like? That sounds we, like a Dallas Willard question. Oh, it does it. I, <laughs> I, uh, that's, that's awesome because I, I feel like that even helps me recognize that there are times when God has brought me under heavy conviction. And there are times when he has brought me into a warm embrace. Mm-hmm. And there's times when he's done both in the same sitting. <laughs> and so, you know, even, even in God's dealing with me, yeah. he's not always you know, bringing the hammer down. He's not always thank, just tiptoeing around my feelings yeah. because God is more interested in, you know, my relationship with him and my flourishing into eternity right. than he is with how I feel about it in the moment. Right. right. That's why God will bring difficulty into my life uh, at times, or he will allow a difficulty to come into my life. Either one. Sure. Uh, in order that you know, I will be refined. I will be sanctified. I'll be more and more like him. Amen. So in the midst of all these questions, I think another question surfaces, which is as we're thinking about the way that truth informs how we love, mm-hmm. you know, we, in some ways, I think we've been talking about the, 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 the conversation surrounding LGBTQ people uh, in, in a way that, assumes that maybe they're outside of the church. You know, we, we've talked about how they were at one point in the church and maybe they, now they've, they're not. Mm. Um, and so I, I just want to ask a clarifying question. Does the way that we interact with folks change if they claim Christ and an LGBTQ identity? Or if they claim, to, to clarify further, if they claim Christ and are living in an openly gay or homosexual lifestyle, mm-hmm. does that change how we respond to them? Does that influence the balance of grace and truth? I would say yes, um, but not so much because of the way you pose the question as much as it is because every situation is unique and every person is unique. And so um, I've come to believe that everybody is in a process Hmm. and only God can judge at any given snapshot second whether a person is in the kingdom or out of the kingdom. Uh, there's been people that I was sure that were in the kingdom that I found out years later. Well, I, I think I might have been wrong about that. Or people that I was like, well, you know, they're 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 far from the kingdom, and you know, the next day they're in, you know they're they're surrendered. And so, you know, we're supposed to look at people's fruit. But only God can judge the heart. Fruit is not the heart. Fruit is evidence of what's in the heart. But yeah. only God can see the heart. So First Samuel, when 
uh, Samuel is looking for the next king of Israel, he makes this incredible statement, you know, that, you know, man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. And so um, I will leave it up to God to make that ultimate, perfectly correct judgment about where that person is. But what I do know is that everybody is on on this continuum, on this process, and um, where how cl- close that person is to the kingdom, whether they're, they're they're just in the early days of struggling with what does it look like to be a Christian, or whether they're you know a person who is who is committed to Christ and now has is wrestling with a besetting sin, or whether they're a person who's not yet surrendered their life to Christ. And it's because they don't want to give up a, a, a sin. You know, th- those are all, those three can all look very similar to each other. Right. And so uh, I want to treat people with respect and I want to treat them with grace. Uh, and I want to speak to them the truth. And so given on you know, any particular situation, I, I can't give you a one size fits all answer like we said before. And so for one person, like for example, um, I said to a, a person who was divorcing his wife uh, to marry another person, you know, Tim. Um, this is a person I've known 40 years ago, so I just make sure that no one tries to take... <laughs> what, what Tim is he talking about, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, Tim, you, you know that's sin. You, you know that that's not what God wants you to do. I mean, I'm a good friend with this guy. Mm-hmm. And what that what it looked like for me to love him well in that moment was not for him to go, well, I, I'm sorry, I, I know it's hard for you, you know, I just want to give you grace. No, it, it felt to me like it was my role to say to him as a good friend, what are you doing? You're, divorcing Christy is a sin, and you, you don't have grounds other than you don't think God wants you to be unhappy, and you're unhappy in this marriage. Right. Those are not biblical grounds, you know. Tim, you know, no, don't, don't, don't do that. You know, hang in there, seek God. And so what it looked like for, for in that particular case was me for, to give him just a really solid dose of truth, you know, I mean, it wasn't like a hammer, yeah. but it also wasn't soft. Right. You know, it was, even that was, I was trying to speak the truth in love. I was pleading with him, you know, yeah. don't, don't do this. Right. And in that, it sounds like you were demonstrating what it talks about in Galatians 6, where it says if if, if a brother is caught in sin, yeah. you should restore gently, him gently. Gently right? restore it's, him. Yeah. Do it in love. It's, yeah. it's not choosing between truth or love, but it's, it's you know, restore them in love. So back to your, your question, um, this is why this question is so important of what does it look like to love the well? So I want to know this person claims to be a Christian and he or she is living in open, blatant sin. Okay, so I want to start asking questions. Are Is this person a product of the culture we're in right now mm. that is so slanted towards, you know, the Bible is irrelevant, you know, the word homosexuality doesn't really mean that, you know, um, you know, th- th- you know, they're not being tolerant, you know, all this this these these words that are being used today to to deceive people yeah. and to try to redefine the bible is this person a sheep who's been listening to false shepherds and is confused okay that's a different kind of person 
they're broken, they're confused, they're hurt. That's a different kind of a person than a person who's, let's just say, um, you know, I have a, a PhD in New Testament or Old Testament. I listened to a guy talk the other day who has a PhD in Old Testament, yeah. and he was giving a defense for why the Old Testament supports a homosexual lifestyle uh, from Genesis and from uh, multiple chapters in Genesis. And I, I sat there and went, oh my gosh, you have a PhD and you are so blind. You are so deceived. You, you are twisting texts that are so clear. Mm. And, you know, th- if I knew this guy, that's what I would say to him. And I, w- I would say, you and I both know that's not what that word means. Maybe not other people know, but, you know, I know the Bible too. And you can't get away with, in my presence, you can't get away with saying, that's not what that word means. I know it means, and you do too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, but you can say stuff like that because very few people have a PhD in, in biblical literature, you know. Uh, and that person's deceived, and they're deceiving others. I'm going to, I'm going to, and they have a platform. I'm going to respond to that person differently than this person who's being deceived, who's a hurt sheep. Um, and who is looking for some direction. So there's a, two different people who are claiming to be Christians who are living open homosexual lives, but I'm, I might speak to them in two different ways. So I can probably come up with other examples. Yeah. Uh, so to me, we're, we're right back to the very same question. Um, what does it look like to love this person well? Yeah, absolutely. And, and the thing that I love about just just where we're at in this conversation is it seems like so many of the ways to answer the question, what does it look like to love this person well, has to do with engaging them, Ooh, getting to know them, word. having conversations with them. Yes. Because th- if, if we're going to talk about counterculture, that is very countercultural it's, yeah. and it's very difficult. And so I would That's love, why I talk, we talk about we need to listen to people. Yes. Yes. And, and so it, it just as a, as a rule, um, I would love if our church was marked by people who are curious mm-hmm. about others, Good. who are wanting to love people by dignifying them, by listening to their stories. Yes. Because the, the idea that we can get a couple of factoids about a person and then immediately know, oh, they fit into this category. That means this is how I should respond to them right. is to Not loving, do a disservice sure. to that's right. the, the way that God has been working in their life. Mm-hmm. And so – yeah, lean into conversation. And especially, you know, because we, we don't have all the time in the world to have this conversation. I would love <laughs> to be able to continue it. But, you know, we can even think about how, how what does it look like to love the person well who disagrees with us? You know, let's say you're forced to make a decision about do I go to that wedding? How do I respond to that person? And you go ahead and make the decision and you've got a dear brother or sister in Christ who is just so upset with you. Okay, yeah. well, how do, how can we love one another well? How can we love one another well with grace and truth right. as we disagree about this? Right. Well, I I want to I want us to try to preserve the ability to have open conversations and yeah. and to not catastrophize yes. these decisions because and this was one of my favorite turns that you made in the sermon was you you couched it all and you prefaced it all with a biblical anthropology. Just looking at how we have dignity because we are made in God's image. Right. And we all are fallen and we all are going to get it wrong. Whether that means that we can identify with 
someone's struggle to you know with with living a uh, you know a, an openly sinful lifestyle whether that means that we can identify that hey you know what none of us are untouched mm -hmm. when it comes to sexual immorality and in that sense we can identify with people's struggle mm -hmm. Or whether that means that we're all going to get it wrong as we're trying to work out the balance of grace and truth. And, and we're not always going to choose the most loving thing because we're fallen. And we're not always going to choose with per perfect wisdom because we're not Jesus. That's not to excuse it. Right. But that's just to recognize we are all trying to live as much like Jesus as well, possible. I hope so. I I hope we are. That's that's yes. that's, that's the plea. That's the, the point. Yeah. And, you know, one of the stories I didn't tell in the sermon was... Um, recounted in Preston Sprinkle's book, Embodied, yeah. where he talks about this person who grew up in the church, loved the pastor, loved the church, and, you know, age like 17, 16, 17, began to feel these desires for same-sex feelings. So because she loved, I think it was she, she loved the church, she loved and trusted her pastor, I'm so beautiful that she went to her pastor for direction. Yes. And um, all, this is why this story has all, is all the more painful. As she explained what she was feeling and, you know, what should I do? He did, his response was to cut her off and say, you need to leave my office right now. Don't ever come back to this church. He interrupted her, did not listen to her story. Wow. And showed her the door and said, don't ever come back. How do you think that woman feels about God, the church, that pastor? She hates him. You know, in a, in a struggle where she's trying to figure out what is truth, you know, who, how, what, what, what am I, who am I, what's going on, the spiritual leader interrupts her, shuts her down, shows her the door, that is, like, to me, one of the most unloving things I've, I've ever heard. When I read that, I, a tear struck hit my eye because I was just like, "That's, I'm, I'm a pastor, you know, I'm, I'm a leader in a church, and I'm, I just grieve that anybody in, in a church would ever treat somebody like that." Mm. And yet, that story happens again and again and again and yeah. again. And just listening to someone's story is such a powerful thing to do. And because so few people listen, that's a, a very significant, loving thing to do. Yes. I love that. Uh, there's a translation, the New Century translation, that translates a, a psalm pa passage, because of your love, listen to me. And, I, and, <laughs> I, and I, there's no other translation that wow. quite catches like that. And it's, I, I don't understand why they don't, but I love that line because the psalmist knows that God loves him and knows that love listens and so yeah. makes that appeal. So I want to make that appeal to our church because of the way God loves us. Let us listen to people. And because we want to communicate the love of God, let's be, let's listen to their story. Let's listen to their hurts. Let's, let's enter and let's engage in that relationship and, and let the love of God be like salt that lands on an, an ice patch and so that it melts away the hardness and the coldness and, and the love of God begins to stir and work in a person's mm -hmm. heart because it's only the love of God that changes a person's heart. It's, yeah. it's not judging them and bashing them. It's, it's the presence of the Holy Spirit. He's the convicting one. He's the spirit of love. He's the spirit of truth. 
but he doesn't skimp on either one of those. He doesn't give truth at the expense of love, and he doesn't love at the expense of truth. And um, the, the fact of the matter is, is there are people who are so hurting and so broken all around us. Yes. If we would just take a posture of listening, it would be a huge step forward for them encountering God or re-encountering God and God beginning to heal and work in their lives. Absolutely. And I feel like uh, I, I just want to, this is, as I was having conversations about the sermon and about these realities, I, the the interesting thing for me, you know, I, I once read a chapter, I, I was assigned a chapter in a book that was written by a celibate gay Christian mm-hmm. about his struggle to live a life of faithfulness to God. Mm-hmm. And when I was assigned that chapter and I read it the first time, it just destroyed me as he talked about his experience and totally changed the way that I mm. understood this mm. whole conversation. That's cool. And the reason was because I saw so much of myself in that person's story. Good. And I don't, and I don't personally wrestle with same sex attraction. So it wasn't that element, mm-hmm. but I so identified with his wanting to please God mm. and that feeling like his desires were making it so difficult to please God. And I, and I want to please God. Yeah. And there are days where I feel like all I can do is not please God. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, and so um, yeah. I, I wanted to just, if, if anyone is listening or maybe you are in the sermon, because statistically speaking, it's not unlikely that there are folks who heard your sermon on Sunday who are who have same sex attraction. Oh, sure. Um, and so hopefully if that's you or if, or if you're, the kind of person who you're like, man, I'm really struggling uh, with with a sin issue in my life, and I I feel like I can't please God, and I feel like if I if I if I open this door, if I if I talk to people about this, I'll be shut out and shunned and and turned away. I just want to remind you um, that has not been my experience with God. Mm-hmm. He has been so kind to me, yeah. and I apo- I want to apologize on behalf of the church. If, if you have experienced yeah. Amen. rejection because of your confession. And I believe that this is the reason that God invites us and commands us to confess into one another, not yeah. so that we can judge one another, not so that we can receive forgiveness because, you know, that forgiveness was given once and for all. It's, it's under the blood for those of us who trust in Christ. I believe that Confession is important in the Christian life because it gives us the opportunity to look one another in the eye and to proclaim forgiveness over one another. And that is a healing that I would love to offer to you. Amen. So if you need someone to listen to your story, um, there's an open door for you here. And we we would love to have conversation with you. If there's not a safe person in your life who you feel like you can have conversation with, I would love to remind you of the forgiveness that's offered in Jesus. And I know that that's true of all of our, of all of our pastors and staff staff people. So, um, I don't know. I just feel like I would be remiss not to mention that. Good. Any, any last comments from you, Pastor Jim, as we wrap up this conversation? Um, (laughs) one last comment. I think I would come back (laughs) to this question of may you, uh, forever be challenged to ask this question in every relationship you're in. What does it look like to love this person? Well, and may the Holy spirit guide you in answering that question as you seek to love like Jesus. Amen. Um, if folks are wanting some more resources or, hey, I want to pick up a book just because I want to I want to learn more about this issue, mm-hmm. what the Bible has to say. Mm-hmm. Is there any uh, resources that come to mind for you? 
Um, yes, I, I, um, I read the book Embodied by Preston Sprinkle. He's a New Testament scholar yeah. and agreed with a lot of it, but not everything. And so I, I would read that book and a book by Rosaria Butterfield, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Because mm. uh, those books uh, are similar and yet very different. These, these two scholars, they're both PhDs in different fields, are right now having you know, discussions. Uh, <laughs> Preston wrote these, this book, these several books about homosexuality and trans. And um, many people in the church are really finding them helpful as an alternative to, you know, real hardline judgmental black and white, everything uh, and helping understand people in the LGBT community. Mm. Um, and Rosaria Butterfield is a woman who was a, uh, a lesbian who was a militant, defender of lesbian lifestyle and um that whole world and she um somebody loved her into the kingdom she's a christian now mm. and she's using her very in sharp mind to uh, enter into this debate and she is she's begun to argue with preston sprinkle so he's got these two brilliant people i i <laughs> i'm waiting for the day for them to actually talk to each other yeah um but i think re reading both of those books would be a really good you know counterbalance because they're definitely not opposites sure uh, in many many ways they're very similar but they they come at it a little bit different and um, um, just I think they're really good resources to enter into a conversation with this topic that's that would be helpful yeah and, and so if you know this is not the final word on this topic oh oh by goodness. any stretch and <laughs> so let's continue having conversations if you've got more questions you know uh, we would love to hear them and we would love to have the opportunity to continue the conversation with you. Uh, let's be a people who are reading about this issue because uh, it's, it's not going to go away anytime soon. No. And, and people are going to continue to struggle with sin. And we're going to continue to have to deal with that tension of grace and truth and asking that question on how to love well. So yeah. um, I think that's, that's maybe a good place to wrap it up uh, on the note of continuing to, have these conversations continuing to come back to the scriptures. I, I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. If you have, and maybe you're on YouTube or if you're on Spotify or Apple podcast app, um, let us know, you know, leave us a little review, follow us like that. You know, you, you watch YouTube videos, you know what the people tell you to do, do those things. We would love to, <laughs> we would love to have that feedback. Uh, and that just helps us to know that you're being ministered to by these conversations or challenged by them or encouraged by them. That that's our hope really is to, is to talk about these issues in a way that helps us to become more and more like Christ. Amen. Um, and that's what we'll do as long as God gives us the opportunity. So whether that's next week or the week after, yes. we're excited to keep on having these conversations and to bring you into them. So on that note, until next time, we'll go ahead and sign off. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. But don't let the conversation end here. Find a group where you can deepen your roots at connect.opendoor.tv. And don't forget to submit your questions to podcast at opendoor.tv. Have a great week, and we'll see you Sunday.